Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. One thing, before we turn our attention to the scriptures, I want to uh, let you know if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, the uh, Lewiston First Naz app is now available for iPhone and other phones, available at the App Store and also at Google Play for free. Just search First Naz Lewiston. And here's what it will do for you so far. We're still developing some other features, but here's what it'll do for you so far. It will uh, lead you through a handful of questions about your current spiritual life, and it will then create for you a profile, a profile that nobody else sees. It doesn't go to me, it doesn't go to the church office, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just for you. It creates a spiritual profile that helps you learn your spiritual strengths and weaknesses. It then tailor makes a series of devotional readings that are sent to you once or twice a day. That's at, at your discretion that kind of targets scriptures that deal with the weaknesses in your life. So that what you have is a custom-made way for you to gain spiritual strength where you formerly had weakness. Every couple of weeks, how often as you'd like, you can go back and take that series of questions again so it can sort of update your profile and uh, we'll continue to tailor-make devotional experiences for you. Just, you know, a couple of minutes here and there throughout the day, some, some scripture, some questions to ponder that help you uh, take measurable, measurable steps in the direction of Christian maturity. So that's the first function and I think the most important one. Second function is this. We create a devotional track as well that fits with the sermons that are preach on Sunday. And so for the seven days following today, there will be uh, something that comes into your uh, mailbox just once a day that will have uh, an excerpt from the sermon, a scripture reference for you to read, and then a couple of questions for you to ponder. And so uh, if you want to just focus on that original track that has to do with you and your personal spiritual strengths and weaknesses, great. If you want to subscribe to the message track for each week, you find that that sermon was especially meaningful to you, then you can connect with it that way. This week's message track is titled Raising Adults. So if you, uh, if you pull up the app and you go to the menu, you can search for tracks. You can search for that one by name, and it will start delivering devotional uh, content to you the very next day. Okay? Uh, It's free, so you can share it with your friends as well. And uh, didn't get it done this week, but it looks like for following weeks, we will be able to get you a link to the podcast in there as well. So you can share that with your friends uh, in the weeks to come. Okay? All right. Enough about the app. Let's talk about the scriptures. The Purcell family, my family, laughs together, and we laugh a lot. We are not a very serious bunch. And our house would be way too loud for most families, but I like it that way. And dinner time around our table is, um, chaotic is not the right word, but um, maybe active. Maybe very active is the way that we would describe uh, life around the dinner table for us. Because of all of the uproarious laughter that comes from my kids and my wife and me. We taught our kids when they were little that they were to be respectful to mom and dad and the way that they speak toward us so they don't talk a lot of smack at the uh, dining room table, but once in a while they do seem to enjoy a little bit of good-natured humor at our expense. For example, they like to make fun of how old we are, though I know that secretly they really think that their mom and dad are young and hip and very cool. (laughs) Luke looked at the floor when I said that. It's okay. All your friends think we're young and hip and cool, okay? From time to time, when my kids are making their dinosaur jokes, um, the talk turns to toys that we enjoyed when we were kids, and they assume that we played with rocks and sticks and string and those kinds of things. But, uh, and they were mostly right. But um, 
there are a few things that come up once in a while that, that um, in the toy department that have survived from the time of my childhood even into today. For your consideration, Exhibit A. All right, I have with me here today two Play-Doh Fun Factories. Okay, the Play-Doh Fun Factory has been around since I was a little kid. This one was loaned to me by the McKay family, and uh, this one came as a gift to me this week. So if you wonder what I do in my office all week, from here on out, it's Play-Doh Fun Factory, okay? That's what I do. Play-Doh Fun Factory is really this amazing thing, because you just kind of imagine what, uh, what shape you would like for the Play-Doh to take, and then it's got a, a series of these, these strips that are really just a die that you kind of attach to the front of the Play-Doh Fun Factory. And then you open this thing up and you take a big blob of goo out of the, out of the little can here. Childproof, yes. <clears throat> take a big blob of the goo and you just load it into the, into the chute on the Fun Factory. Okay. Then you've got to push this thing down. And something that's important to know is that you can't just ram on the thing because it's made of plastic. Okay? When I was a little kid, I thought it would be a great idea if you could jump on this and shoot Play-Doh all the way across the room. Let me just save you the trouble and the expense of a second Play-Doh Fun Factory because it's no worky like that. Okay? Uh, you, have to, you have to be a little bit gentle with it. Um, it takes a little, bit of, a little bit of patience, just a little. But if you... If you apply just the right amount of pressure over the right amount of time, then it produces, um, in this case, a star. And then Rich uh, Kennedy stopped by my office this morning and he said, Dude, the Play-Doh hair is the best shape. You should go with the Play-Doh hair. But I I didn't dig the Play-Doh hair out of of the box. So, sorry, Rich. Um, It's yours to play with um, after you get your chores done. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Plato Fun Factory, 17 years ago, and then again 16 years ago, and then one more time 12 years ago, God dropped shapeless blobs in mine and Laura's laps, and we loved them exactly as they were, but we have dreams, and we have high designs for how they were going to turn out one day, and so we've chosen some shaping dyes, let's say, and we're applying some appropriate pressure that we will hope produce certain things in our children's lives. Question for you. What shape do you hope your children will take? Can you describe that very clearly in just a a sentence or two or three? How do you want your kids to turn out? Second question. Do you have a plan for how that's going to come about? Or are you guessing and hoping and maybe just throwing an occasional prayer in there? Guessing and hoping will not be very effective, got to tell you, will not be very effective in the long run to bring about the desires that you have for your children. At this point, I could get all bogged down in details and tell you how it is that Laura and I do it, but the truth is, all that would probably do for you is shape your kids into Purcells, and that wasn't a goal for any of you, was it? No. 
I mean, I got great kids, but you want yours to turn out in some ways like you and like Christ. And as the followers of Jesus, I think that all of us who are parents have two basic responsibilities as parents, and that's what I want to spend my time talking to you about today. The first responsibility that we have as Christian parents, and I would say as grandparents too, in case some of you are getting ready to tune out, is to purposely shape our kids into Christ followers. First responsibility for us as Christian parents and grandparents is to purposely shape our kids into Christ followers. Now, I talked about that a little bit last week when I was speaking about how it is that you could shape a legacy for you and your family for generations to come. Far too many Christian parents take a hands-off approach when it comes to their children's faith. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. My kids have to make up their own minds. And I understand that if a person is ever really going to become a follower of Jesus, it will be because he or she has made a personal decision and a personal commitment. But I also know this. No one makes decisions in a vacuum. Instead, every one of us makes decisions because our thinking has been influenced by someone. Parents, you've got to get this because it's really important. There are many groups... There are movements, I would say even spiritual forces, that are making bids every moment for your children's hearts and minds and lives. This world is an active recruiting ground for all kinds of folks. And each of us will be asked many, many times over the course of our lives to give our affection and our allegiance to a number of different causes. Attempting to be relatively silent in a kid's life is a virtual guarantee of failure, even if you've, you've glommed on to what I think is one of the most horrible Christian phrases, silent witness. To be a silent witness in your kid's life is to be effectively silenced from almost all influence. Everybody else has the volume jacked as they're trying to get your kid's attention. Silence doesn't work for parents. Let me tell you how you can be a vibrant contender and influence in your kid's spiritual lives. First of all, give them something worth imitating. Give them something worth imitating. You can become a worthy model for your kids. The Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We oftentimes look at that, man, that guy must have been arrogant. Nope. He was a guy who said, I've committed my life to Christ. I'm going to follow his teachings. And as a result, I become something of a believable example to the people that I'm trying to teach. The writer to the Hebrews said, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So all throughout the scriptures, we have this idea that people can actually grow up enough in their faith that without arrogance, they can say, watch me, I'll show you how to do this. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, kids are copycats. And even into their teen years, their speech and dress and entertainment choices are herd-type behaviors, meaning this, they find models and follow them. So, parents, model the behaviors that you hope to see in your kids. I think one of the worst decisions that you can make as a parent is to cut yourself some slack where you cut your kids none. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. One of the worst mistakes that you can make as a parent is to cut yourself some slack in an area of life where you cut your kids no slack. 
Kids are looking for some, some sense of consistency between what I say I believe and how I live and the standards to which I hold myself and then hold them in comparison. Telling them to do as you say and not as you do is a surefire way for you to build resentment in the hearts of your kids, and it will give you personally lots and lots of opportunities to be called a hypocrite by your own kids. If you want your kids to be moral, to abstain from behaviors that lead to addiction, if you want them to speak only words that build others up, then you're going to need to model those very same things. If you want them to be involved in youth group, you need to be involved in some adult group. If you want your kids outside of this church service to be doing anything that that grows them up in their faith, that helps them connect with God and other, other Christ followers. If you want your kids to be taking daily steps in the direction of maturity, you need to be doing it too. Saying, oh, I did all of that before. I'm good to go. Uh, your kids are going to call you on that one every single time. Okay? Um, not a lot of amens there, but, you know, you're digesting it. I get it. Okay? Yeah. Understand this, that you... Not their pastor, not their youth pastor, not the other youth workers, not their Sunday school teacher, not their friends. You, parents, will be and currently are the greatest spiritual influence in your kids' lives. So give them something worth imitating. I just got to tell you, there's going to come a point where your kids are going to write the pastor off because they think he's a hired gun. There's going to come a point where they really connect with their youth pastor, and then there's some point in every teenage kid's life where they go, "Eh," and they push back from youth pastor for a little bit. They they try to marginalize them a little bit. Sunday school teachers, many teenage kids haven't seen a Sunday school teacher for years and years, so they don't don't have a, a lasting, ongoing, daily effect. But they put themselves underneath your roof and they put their feet underneath your table. And the truth is, you parents are the single greatest influence on your kids. And that's true of spiritual matters as well. So be the person that you hope your kids turn out to be. Give them something worth imitating. That's, uh, that's tip number one. Tip number two is this. Teach them something that's worth believing. Many Christian parents leave all of the business of education on spiritual matters to other people in the church. And your pastors are going to do the very best that we can, okay? Some senior pastors really try to engage with kids. Youth pastors, it's their wheelhouse. They do that. Sunday school teachers, small group leaders will too. Vacation Bible school program workers, they'll all try to sow a little bit of seed into your kids' lives. They'll do their best to engage your kids. But... Get this, since you're the spiritual influence, the chief one, it means that the chief responsibility for teaching rests on your shoulders. The truth is, the best that Aaron and and I can do is reinforce what you are teaching your kids. If what we are teaching them is so radically different than what they're hearing from you, they're going to be caught in a taffy pole, and the person with the most influence wins. But get this, because that may seem like a pretty heavy thing. Just know this, you don't have to design big, long lessons. You don't have to write sermons that you're going to preach to your kids. Just pick one spiritual truth a week that you want your kids to just think about for a while and start a conversation with them. 
You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be able to wrap it up with a nice, neat, big, beautiful bow. Just ask them a question, and they and the Holy Spirit will start mulling this stuff over in their minds, and eventually it will sprout and take root. You could ask questions like, um, hey, that was crazy, the story of how Jesus was born. What do you think about that? You can ask questions like, um, why do you think Jesus died? What do you think about the Bible's claim that Jesus rose from the dead? How do you think a Christian's behavior should be different than that of the average kid in your school? Ask your kids, have you ever read a whole book of the Bible? Just simple little questions that engage in a conversation with your kid about a spiritual idea, and it will get the wheels turning. Believe me, they think about this stuff. Between what you have learned from your pastors, what you've learned from your own studies, and... Um, listen, Aaron and I are out of jobs real fast. Pastor Bill, too. You know why? Google exists. You can look up absolutely anything about the Bible and Christian doctrine and find really the very same answers that you would get from us if we sat down to talk. Between what you've learned from pastors, what you've learned from your own studies, and from Google for crying out loud, you can teach your kids one thing a week about God and the scriptures. You can. That's 50 things a year if you miss a week here and there. Maybe you could just turn it into a game and ask your kids to teach you something about the faith. Tell them they've got 15 minutes and your iPad, ready, go. And in 15 minutes, they'll come back and teach you something that they just learned about God's word that'll help grow them up in their faith. But purposely, teach them something spiritual, something that's worth believing on a weekly basis. Third thing, and I think this is the most important, seek your children's conversion. Instead of waiting to see if your kids might possibly one day get interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, you as parents seek their conversion. I think that church people assume far too much about their kids' relationships with God. Growing up in a church does not guarantee anything to your children when it comes to the Christian faith. In order to become a real disciple of Jesus, a real Christ follower, something must happen in their lives that the scriptures call being born again. And that means that someone has to help your child realize what that means. Somebody has to help your kid realize that they have done some things that are wrong, objectively wrong, and we call those things sins. Someone has to help your kids understand that that sin came from somewhere. It came from from their, their hearts. Human hearts have a little bit of a sin problem. Someone needs to help your kids understand that there's a God who loves them and who will forgive them if they ask him to, sincerely. Someone needs to help your kids understand that this isn't just about getting your record expunged, but that there's a whole new kind of life available for the people of God. And it's by invitation. You invite God's Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you and and breathe his life into your spirit. They are not going to just automatically get it. It's not going to be just, ooh, revealed from heaven one day. God already has a plan for revealing it to your kids. It's you talking to them about it and seeking their conversion. All these things will happen by your children praying and asking God to do these things for themselves, but somebody has to lead them to it. So teach your children how to pray those prayers and help them pray that prayer. Don't assume that somebody else is going to do that for you and get the job done. I'll tell you personally, there is no greater fulfillment as a Christian parent than to be the one who prays with your kids 
and introduces them to this God that we've been talking about in their presence all of their lives. Okay, so this first, re- uh, first responsibility as parents was to purposely shape our kids into Christ followers. Trust me, you're not brainwashing them. When they get old enough, they'll make decisions for themselves. And parents, here's the tough stuff of life. They're going to take part of your faith and throw it out. They may take your whole faith and throw it out, want nothing to do with it. But if you give them some roots, a foundation that they can come back to, they will eventually build a faith of their own on that foundation. They'll take a big portion of what you taught them deliberately, and they will make it the very beginnings and the foundation of their own faith. Listen, I know it can be a threatening thing, but it's a good thing for a kid to weed through the stuff that you told me. Get rid of some of it, because I don't know if you've considered this or not. There's a slight possibility that you don't have it all right. You know, when it comes to the faith, there's a possibility those parents don't have it all nailed down. Have you ever, parents, have you ever had one of those moments when your kid said something and you went, out of the mouths of babes? Yeah, that you heard that kind of truth. Yeah, you might be able to learn some things from your kids too. But they're going to sort through all of, all of that stuff that you teach them. They're going to one day build a faith of their own. But um, very important that you that you first begin by shaping them as followers of Jesus Christ. Second responsibility that we have as parents then is to intentionally shape our kids into adults. Adults. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11, uh, verse 11, Paul said this, When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter just puts it this way. I love Peter because he was always blunt. He said, grow up in your salvation. Just grow up. So here's these, these two voices from the New Testament that, that tell us that there's, there's this progression that's supposed to happen in a person's life where you are step by step leaving immaturity behind and seeking maturity. It's called growing up. But understand this, it never happens by flipping a switch. I remember sitting in uh, my high school gymnasium the day of my high school graduation. And I never remember which side the tassel hangs on. But we had the tassel hanging on one side. And all of us were waiting for that moment when we got to move the tassel over, right? Because boom, graduated. But I remember sitting there, because I really wasn't paying attention to whoever that guy was who was giving the speech. Um, And I just remember thinking, this thing that's hanging in the way of this eye is going to get moved over to this eye, and it'll take about a half a second, and the whole world is going to expect me to suddenly be a grown-up. And I realized that it just couldn't happen that fast. It's not going to happen that fast for your kids either. They're not going to be children, 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 adults, it's, uh, life doesn't work like a jack-in-the-box. Boom! Doesn't work like that. Kids don't just magically become adults one day. You know how it happens? By step by step, coached by parents, intentionally leaving childish ways behind. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, uh, I'll argue face-to-face with folks who want to, that think that the job of parenthood, Christian parenthood in particular, is to preserve childhood for as long as possible. Because i got to tell you, you can't preserve it one day longer 
than, than it really exists. You can fool yourself into thinking that your kids are still innocent and naive and uninformed, but it's not going to really happen in this life. Instead of trying to artificially preserve your children's childhood, walk them from Christian childhood intentionally toward Christian adulthood. When I consider these concepts as a Christian parent, it leads me to an approach to parenting that I think of as purposely raising adults, not raising kids. Let's not raise kids around here. Let's raise adults. Let's intentionally walk our children out of childhood in appropriate steps rather than extending their childhood as long as possible. Now, listen, I got to just say this to make sure that you understand me. I'm not talking about artificially or prematurely shattering their innocence by telling them things that they have no business knowing when they're little bitty, okay? That's, you wouldn't think I'd say that, right? Okay, but um, offer the disclaimer, What I'm talking about is as your kids are growing, you tell them to focus intently on manhood and womanhood, and you encourage them and applaud them and reward them as they take steps toward adulthood and as they leave some childish ways behind them. Let's let's walk them purposely toward Christian adulthood, strong Christian adulthood, by doing three things. Number one, nurture their faith. And I talked about that a little bit earlier, but a basic plan for nurturing your children's faith needs to involve uh, consistent church and youth group attendance so that they get some spiritual food from you and from others, uh, some intentional spiritual teaching from you, their parents, and then modeling spiritual behaviors that will eventually give them a baseline for how they're supposed to act in this world. You can teach them some things about what to believe, but you show them by your actions how to live it out. Okay? So there's the three legs of, of that basic program of nurturing their faith. Get them uh, involved in church and youth group activities. Listen, I'll tell you this much. I want my kids to turn out like Aaron Middleton. I want my kids to turn out like Aaron Middleton because I work with him every single day. And I know that this is a man who knows God, loves God, and serves God. He's a man who feeds his own spirit by reading the scriptures and praying. He's a guy who is there for other people when they're hurting. And when you need somebody to serve, he's the first person who volunteers. I want my kids to be like, how can I get my kids to turn out like Aaron Middleton? Maybe let them spend some time. No, maybe make them spend some time with him. Amen, Pastor Cliff. You are right on this morning, nailing it. You got it down, brother. Thank you. Help them spend some time with this guy right over here and with the people in the children's department, and you will see that that leg of the stool starts to to firm up about the time that your teaching does the same for them. Okay. First thing, nurture their faith. Secondly, discipline their missteps. And this, I think, is the hardest part of parenting. It is for me, knowing how to, to discipline. Um, you know, I wish that it was as simple as one verse from the Bible. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I wish you could just beat it out of them, because then we'd know how to do it, right? Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, work by itself. I think that discipline, knowing how to discipline, is the hardest part of Christian parenting. Uh, Everyone knows and has different opinions about the first part of this verse. It's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their child. People who don't know the Bible and don't know that's from the Bible know that Christians say that, and they get up in arms about it. Most Christians don't know the second half of the verse. 
He gives us a positive statement of this principle. It says, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Not all discipline involves a whack on the fanny, okay? Discipline means that I will show you how to do this life, and I will correct your course when you step off of it. And in the cases of rebellion or things that could destroy you, I will punish you. I will make it hurt bad enough that you turn from your ways. Amen again, Pastor Cliff. Okay. Hmm. First part of the verse, whoever spares the rod hates the child. Most folks know that, have different opinions about it. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline, the writer of Proverbs told us. Most of us don't realize that there are many other verses in Scripture that also teach us not to neglect to discipline our kids. The hard part, though, is knowing whether we're being too severe or not firm enough. Is that a problem for you? Nod your heads if so. Okay, I'm not the only one here. The hardest part's knowing, was I being too severe or was I being too soft? Did I give one too many warnings or one too few? Poor Noah, firstborn, right? Firstborn in every family. Oh, man, that we guinea pig all over those poor kids. For the millionth time, bud, I'm so proud of who you are choosing to become, and it's probably only half because of mine and your mom's parenting approach. And, um, but if you disagree with me, I will just... <clears throat> he didn't volunteer to be a sermon illustration this morning. Thanks, bud. Yeah. I think this has been the arena of my greatest failure in my entire life, not just in parenting, is knowing where I was on that spectrum of, of healthy discipline for the kids. But from my failures, I have learned two things. Number one, disciplining when I am angry will probably make me err on the side of being too severe. If you discipline when you are mad, you're probably going to make it about you not feeling mad anymore. It'll be a little bit vengeful, and you will probably be too severe. Um, some folks will say, yeah, but you have to discipline in the moment or they won't get the point. Oh, yeah, they will. They'll get the point that you cooled down and respected them enough to give yourself some time to cool down. That might teach them far more than a whack on the fanny would. But from my failures, I've learned that disciplining when I'm angry will probably make me err on the side of being too severe. And I've also learned from my failures that failing to follow through on a threat of discipline is failing to be firm enough. If you tell them that they're going to be disciplined for something, you better back it up. Or you just trained them to push the boundary harder the next time. And I've only learned those things by my failure. I would say, however, that... Were you amening faith? Was that what that was? Okay. Um, you'll spend another week eating cat food, kid. So, yeah. I've, I've learned some things by getting it wrong as a parent, and my kids have learned something about how to give grace. But I haven't gotten it all wrong. I know that. And from the times that I've gotten it right, I have also learned a couple of things. Number one, Allowing the natural consequences of disobedience is often the best lesson. 
often the best way to teach a lesson isn't for you to apply the discipline, but just to let the natural consequences of disobedience fall on them hard. And you can be the one who stands there beside them to love them, to hurt with them through it, and then maybe to talk with them about how to do this a little better next time when they're ready to hear it. I think I've gotten that one right a few times. From the times I've gotten it right, I've also learned that taking Laura's advice on what to do instead of doing what I thought was best uh, was also very, very wise. Because I get amped up about good things and bad things. And Laura, she's just steady Eddie. And she'll say, now stop for just a minute and think, is that really what you want to do or say? Hmm, Laura. Kids, thank God for your mom. Yeah. Walk them purposely toward Christian adulthood by nurturing their faith, by disciplining their missteps, and by guiding their choice of friends and mates. Because next to your influence, parents, and the the possible exception of very few trusted adults in their lives, the choice of friends and romantic interests will be the single greatest influence on them. Put simply, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. When I went to college, I was 18 years old. And when I got there, I made friends with a guy who was 36. He was a non-traditional student. And he had been a rodeo cowboy from his teenage years. And you know when rodeo cowboys retire, right? When they are so broken and beat up that, um, that Doug Steele could out arm wrestle him with his right arm. That's, that's, that's how it goes. Um, they just, they, they retire when they can't climb in the saddle anymore. So this old, broken down 36-year-old man comes, uh, comes to college and man, we just clicked. His name was Jim Furness. That's a good name for a rodeo cowboy, isn't it? Jim Furness. And uh, Jim was that guy who also had that kind of cowboy poet kind of wisdom, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, he would often say to me, hey, Cliff, you know, you can't go walking through the garbage without coming back smelling like it, son. One of my professors wasn't quite as clear. He would say, a word that's sufficiently wise is unnecessary. You either get that one or you don't. Guide their choice of friends and mates. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Man, you can make up with your kids later, but restrain them from hanging out with people who will drag them off the path. It's like this. You want to go for a swim? You might take a handful of things with you. Goggles, it'll help. Flippers, it'll help. An anchor, not so much. That's going to drag you to the bottom of the drink. You just got to know what you're going to take with you that's going to help you along the way. And the truth is, there are some companions of your kids who are dragging them off the path. Now listen, there's delicate balance for us here as the followers of Jesus, isn't there? Between wanting to be salt and light and help to other people, but at the same time, we have a first primary responsibility for taking care of our kids. And it means that we do have to... uh, kind of set a perimeter around them and decide who gets through it. 
You get to decide when your kids can handle companions who are less than wholesome. But I will warn you, uh, in the, particularly in the romantic interest department, there is nothing that will sidetrack a person faster than a, than a person who, uh, than a romantic interest. I'll just put it at that, romantic interest. You can make up with your kids later, but restrain, restrain them from hanging out with people who drag them off the path. Finally, gradually, if you're going to raise them to be an adult, gradually give them responsibility because they won't suddenly just become adults. They have to grow into it. And they won't do that if you let them live the illusion of responsibility-free childhood until they leave your home. I had one of those guys. When I was in college, uh, my senior year, I was uh, the, the reader for the a student teacher for the uh, chairman of the Department of Religion and Philosophy. And uh, I, I taught this class for freshmen on study skills and, uh, and, and how to live because we found out that people sent their kids to college who'd never done a load of laundry. We found out that people sent kids to college who uh, never taught them um, um, how to eat well. And we found out that people sent kids to college who never taught them to um, cut down on their entertainments so that they could take care of their responsibilities. So I had to teach things like time management and so forth. And there's this kid named Troy. Troy shows up and he's really excited to be at college. And I'm telling you, the second that I met him, I thought, mm, boy, may not be college material. This is going to be tough. It's going to be really tough for this kid. And so, but I liked him. And so I thought, I'm going to help him get through this. But by midterm, he had Fs in every single class. Midterm, first semester failing, every single class. And there were a handful of kids in my class who had all Fs. And um, so I thought I should give him one too, because, you know, I'm teaching the class. So I said, uh, all right, you guys need to shape up. So here's this thing. And I sent him home with a schedule, and I said, you guys have got to, for the next week, you have to keep track of your time. You have to give an account for every 15 minutes of your time. If you bring this thing back next week and there are any blanks, you fail. So um, I failed two people. Uh, or however many it was. Um, but Troy brought his back. It was like the first homework he'd done all semester. He was like, man, you can actually do this stuff. So well, let me see what you've got. And so uh, he was eating three meals a day. That's good. But he was, st- he was sticking around at the dining hall for almost two hours every meal. I said, well, why are you there so long, Troy? He said, pick up chicks. <laughs> so he was talking to girls. Um, then he went to class about, um, about four hours a day. So we've got, there's 10 hours. Okay, we've got 14 hours left to get some sleep and some study. But Troy liked to play video games, and he played video games for eight hours a day. And then he also had a, 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 a series of boxes that amounted to about three more hours of talking to girls a day. And he comes down to about two hours of sleep at night. He's sick every other week and failing every single class and can't figure out why. Because nobody had ever taught him how to be responsible. They just let him be a kid and be a kid and be a kid until he was an 18-year-old kid instead of an 18-year-old man. And then they threw him out of the house and figured that the university and I would fix that in, by midterm. Troy went home at the end of the semester, and we never saw or heard from him again. It does not have to happen with your kids. They're not going to suddenly become adults, but they're not going to grow into it if you don't gradually increase the weight on their shoulders. 
I think that the lifestyle of the average uh, college student in America is evidence that most parents have prolonged their kids' childhood for too long and have not placed enough responsibility on them as they grow older. Those parents raised children instead of raising adults. Your kids and mine are eventually going to make their own decisions about whether they will devote their lives to Jesus. I pray that they will. And all these things I've talked about today, soak them in fervent prayer. Beg God. Call on him for his promises. But there's going to come a day when your kids and mine are going to make those grown-up decisions for themselves, and spirituality is one of those grown-up decisions. Between this day and, and that one, however, that day that they choose, bet on your influence. Bet on your influence in their lives and leverage it to help shape them as followers of Jesus Christ. There's no one on this planet that I would rather spend eternity in the presence of God with than my wife and my children. And so I'm going to leverage every bit of influence I've got to stack the deck in the favor of my kids becoming wholly devoted followers and servants of Jesus. I will not take a wait-and-see approach I would discourage you from doing the same. Don't take a hands-off approach when it comes to the spirituality of your kids. Shape them intentionally as followers of Jesus, the real kind. And then shape them to be adults who will one day live and die as followers of Jesus. I think these are the single greatest things that you can do for your kids. Shape them as Christ followers and shape them to be real adults. You know... The scriptures uh, paint this picture for us that every person who asks for forgiveness and new life from God can get that. And that provides a a certain quality of life on this side of the grave, but it also gives us this, this sense of security for all of eternity. Because whatever else heaven is, and I have a really hard time imagining it, whatever else heaven is, it means that we get to be with God for all of eternity. And I love that, and I want that. And that is guaranteed to me if I simply trust him enough, ask him to forgive me, and and, and welcome him into my life. But get this, because this is important. The scriptures also teach that among those who've been forgiven and welcomed into heaven, there will be a judgment, a time at which we will give an account for our actions and for the words that we speak. I'm a parent. I'm a pastor. I'll have to give account for the way that I have led Christ's church. That makes me pray an awful lot on this side. But I think one of the very first things that God is going to ask me about is, hey, how about those kids? Give an account. How did you raise them? I think it's the first thing God should talk to me about when it comes to an evaluation of my actions in this world. Again, heaven or hell thing? I don't think so. That's, that's taken care of by the blood of Jesus and my faith in Christ. But this whole business of rewards and what I enjoy for all of eternity and my relationship with God will be in some way affected by that day of judgment. Parents, wishing, hoping, crossing your fingers, and I would even say praying, it's not enough. 
Understanding that you have great opportunity as the chief influencers and understanding that one day you will give an account for your lives as parents. Shape your kids to be followers of Christ, intentionally so. Listen, they can throw that off. You know that, right? Your kids can reject your faith and go their own separate ways. Yeah, they can manage to do that without you giving them, quote-unquote, a fair chance. You know what I'm saying? Shape your kids intentionally to be followers of Jesus Christ and shape them to be adults. And then every one of us will stand before the the judgment seat of Christ one day, and he's going to say, you know, you didn't get it all right, but you get me. You get me. And and all of our weaknesses and failures and inadequacies as parents will be washed away. They'll be forgiven. And our kids will have grown up and... um, and will answer for themselves too. So I would say this, don't live in fear of judgment, parents, but do live in light of it. It's a weighty matter. Live in light of it. Understand that there will be plenty of grace for you on that day, and so offer plenty of grace to your kids in between. And grace, given in gracious, abundant amounts, will help shape your kids to be Christ followers and adults. Anybody feel like they need some help with this? Because I do. I do. Man, I, it's, I, I need help with parenting. I want to get that right more than anything else in life. I want to get the parenting thing right. So if you need some help, why don't you pray with me today in the belief that God will, will grant us exactly that. Stand with me. Lord, We seem to get the love thing right for the kids. You've given us abundant love for the little boogers that come to our homes. It doesn't even matter the circumstances in which they come to us. We just immediately find out that there's somebody worth living for and somebody worth dying for the second we see the the, the first child that you bring into our lives. We cherish them. But they also bring some fear our way because we we worry about the choices they'll make. We worry about the kind of people they'll grow up to be. We Christian parents worry about their eternal life. Lord, we just confess this morning that we need your help. We need some encouragement along the way. We need you to dust us off when we fall down. Help us back to our feet. Lord, I want to pray for parents today whose hearts might be discouraged. I'll bet in the sanctuary today there are people who feel like, man, I've been doing it right, and my kids are still making horrible decisions. Lord, bring comfort and peace and hope to my friends. I'll bet there's some people in the sanctuary today who are saying, oh, man, I have missed the boat. I've gotten so many things wrong. And there's a sense of shame and despair that's washing over them right now. Lord, I want to ask you, Help my friends. Give them hope. Whisper in their ear that they're forgiven and that life isn't over yet. The parenting isn't done the day the kids move out. So I pray that you would inspire hope, Lord, for the the next leg of the parenting journey for my friends. Lord, I want to pray a special prayer of hope and help and strength for some heroes who walk among us. 
single parents. Their job is more than twice as hard. They need grace and help and encouragement, peace and wisdom. They need you to be a sounding board when they don't have one lying next to them. So Lord, be good to my friends. Help us uh, as a community of faith, a church, to be a good second tier of support for the parents in this congregation. Lord, help us not, uh, as, as we grow older, to not um, allow ourselves that kind of thinking that says, ah, I did my turn. But about the time that our kids are grown, maybe we could start looking at ourselves as real resources for those who are in the midst of the struggle right now, because the struggle's real. And I pray that the parents in this church would feel like they are surrounded with friends who love them, know them, pray for them, and will give them a break once in a while. And I pray for all the teens and children in this church that they will know that there's a bunch of people who are rooting for them. We're not trying to force them to become anything, but we want to give them a fighting chance to have a faith that is their own as adults. We're not trying to kill their fun as kids. We're trying to maximize their enjoyment of adult life by teaching them to be responsible right now. And so I pray that where the enemy whispers words of discouragement and, um, uh, and, re- and rejection of the things we've talked about today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would whisper, hey, give it another thought. And Lord, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that today I offered a mix of things that are clearly written in your word, some thus saith the Lord kind of things. And I've also offered some thus saith the cliff kind of things, and that should hold a lot less weight. So I pray you'd help my friends to just sort through all that. And if, uh, if I've spoken about something that's just inappropriate to their situation, help them to just dismiss it and to give me some grace. But Lord, we offer ourselves and our families to you. Make of us as it seems right with you. And raise up among us a great generation of people of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next week, Pastor Aaron is going to speak to us about parenting as he understands it um, from watching the effects in the lives of teens. And he's going to be, have a special word that will, um, I, I think, be especially pertinent to people who have raised their kids in the church all along. But Aaron is pastor to a bunch of church kids and a bunch of kids whose parents have never helped them find the path. And uh, you're going to miss out if you miss next Sunday. Do this. Pray for him this week. Come back and listen next week. May you know the presence of God and his help. So may you know his peace this day and always. Amen.